Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 22nd, the Targeting Bands That Target Trans Kids edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is eight, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate. I wrote the book How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13, and we live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who's four. And we live in Navarre, Florida. On today's show, we have a question about a father in a blended family who seems to be prioritizing his daughter with his previous wife over his relationship with his son with his current wife. Then we'll be joined by Alex Chen, director of Harvard Law's LGBTQ Advocacy Clinic, to talk to us about the bill's sweeping state legislators targeting transgender children. Plus, the wonderful, hilarious hosts of Slate's newest podcast, ICYMI, are dropping by to quickly explain internet slang that has our listeners completely confused. It's the first installment of our recurring segment, In Case You Missed It, Mom and Dad. On Slate Plus, we'll be debating whether or not it's okay to read your kids' text messages and emails. But first things first, we always start with triumphs and fails. Dan, which one do you have for us this week? I have a... A minor triumph, I think. So this has been a truly insane and terrible school year for everyone, but Lyra uh, has generally done pretty well. Like, she's a sophomore now in high school. The work is a lot harder. She really, really hates online school, which she just finds basically impossible to pay attention to. But um, through all of that, she has been very diligent. She clearly cares about her performance, and it's not clear to me what exactly drives how much she cares about her performance, whether it's that she expects herself to get good grades or she views us as expecting her to get good grades or because she has some specific goal for the future that she's trying to achieve. Um, but she has pretty much maintained A's in most of her classes all year. She's worked really hard. I, I think honestly too hard, you know, we've told her this year, honestly, this is like the lost year. We don't care what your grades are. You should not care what your grades are. All that we care is that you're doing the best you can under the circumstances and that you're not miserable. But, you know, that was really easy for me to say most of the year when she was getting A's. But all of a sudden, uh, last week, we discovered that her third quarter science grade was much lower than an A. She was just having a lot of trouble in that class. And so my low-level triumph is that I think... I talked about it with her and dealt with it in a way that did not freak her out or lead her to put even more pressure on herself about school than she already does. I said to her, it looks like you've missed some assignments, you know, and as a result, your grade is suffering. And she immediately came back with, well, you said you don't care about grades this year. And I, it's true that I said that and don't. So I tried to step back and I said, you're right. And that's not why I'm having this conversation with you. 
but it does seem like you are working your ass off in this class, but you're nevertheless getting overwhelmed and having trouble. And that is reflected Mm. in this grade that I see here. So I want to find a way to help you not feel that way during fourth quarter. You only have a couple of months left of this class. I want to do what I can to help you not feel overwhelmed and not be upset uh, and not feel like you are missing stuff or confused. Um, And it took a couple of conversations with me and Alia, who also I think was very good at delivering this in just the right way. But I think now that she gets that, that we understand that it has become important for her to do the work and we just want to find ways we can help her do the work and not feel upset about it. So we've got regular check-ins set up with us. We found a college kid who's going to give her a little help. She has joined forces with a couple of other kids in the class to go have a serious conversation with the teacher about how they all feel she's assigning too much homework. I think that's fantastic. Anyway, whatever. This is like a minor bump in the road for a kid who is generally really succeeding at a very difficult time. But I have done a really bad job in the past at responding in a kind and useful way when Lyra's grades have fallen in previous years. So I'm proud that I did a slightly better job this time. I hope that in fourth quarter she is happier and she feels less freaked out and gets an A. (laughs) I think that's great, though. Like, you know, like we can actually be here to help you. I know. Believe it or not, kid. Yeah. Hopefully when she searches herself uh, Mm -hmm. on the show transcript, she doesn't stop dead in her tracks when she gets to M-Dash and gets an A. I'm just hoping I said it quiet enough that the transcription (laughs) robot doesn't hear. Kudos to you, Dad, for helping her to feel more comfortable during an uncomfortable time. Elizabeth, what do you have for us this week? You are like square in the middle of this move so yeah so i'm i am for that reason giving myself a a triumph in a very weird story because i can't handle a fail at this point so tomorrow i'm supposed to leave with the kids to head to atlanta and then the movers will be here Um, i'm gonna you know seat them with the grandparents so that just with covid and everything it's like too hard to have them here i mean it's terrible to have kids with movers here anyway so I have just like completely basically overscheduled today because so many things had rolled to today. Like I needed to go sign this paperwork for the house. I have a few little things to drop off like around town and all of that has kind of landed on today before I leave. And um, the kids were finishing up this online thing, which I should have totally dropped. This is like I ha- I signed the kids up to help participate in some kind of research project to, you know, by the University of Florida for something. So one of them had an appointment at nine. The other had an appointment at at 11 online to do this thing. Oliver's had just ended and we needed to like get in the car and drive to the title place so I could sign this paperwork. And we get out to the car and I have the other two, like they're supposed to be loading up and I have the trunk open to put stuff in. And the kids, I walk outside and the kids are just like screaming. They're like, there's a cat in our car. There's a cat in our car. So I look and we have this cat that has just moved into the neighborhood. His name is um, Mr. Fitzbits. He's a mean cat. He's a very, very mean cat. This cat is in my minivan and I cannot get him to get out. Like I'm in the car. I'm too scared to grab him because he hisses at you. I cannot get this cat out of my car. I'm like, I don't have time for this. So I just like look at the cat and I'm like, I guess you're coming with us. I don't I don't know what else to do. So I'm buckling in the kids and the cat is like up on this bin And I like open the trunk for one last, you know, like, I was like, okay, I'll back the car out with the trunk open. So I'm like backing the car out. It finally just like jumps out. I'm like, okay. So I shut the trunk, drive off to the title place where you're not allowed to bring your children. Jeff is on a flight today. And and really, I'm going to blame this whole thing on him because he sent me this text this morning that was like, 
won't have the phone till 4 p.m. You're on your own, which is like every day. So why did you have to text me to remind me that? Um, but I, I blame that text for everything that happens from here on out. So I get to the title place and I have a friend that offered to come meet me there and sit with the kids in the car. She lives very close to the title place while I go in and sign. So I go in. It turns out that the title person we've been working with no longer works there. They won't give me any more details. She doesn't work there as a Friday. No one really knows where my paperwork is. Everyone is completely unsympathetic that I'm like leaving. They're also insisting they can't mail it to me, which is not true. So anyway, I'm like, okay, this woman comes out. She says it'll be 20 minutes. I'm like, all right, right. So I go back out to the car, talking with my friend, go back in. It's not ready. Go to start the car. The car is dead. I'm like, don't worry, I have jumper cables. No, I don't have the jumper cables because I emptied the entire car, you know, during the cat thing, plus like trying to get the car ready for the road trip. She has jumper cables, but she is hugely pregnant. She is so pregnant. She's doing like like a couple weeks. If this story does not end in Mr. Fitzbits delivering the baby in the back of your car. Yes, exactly. She has to like pull her car so close to mine. I'm in a minivan. She's in some other, you know, huge car so close to mine. She's like this amazing driver. She pulls her tight. She's so close. But now she can't get out of her car. And she is the one who really knows how to do the jumping. Like I have done it before, but I have to get out the manual. This woman, Lindsay, she's going straight to heaven, guys. She climbed out through the trunk of her huge car. And she's like, so she's like emerging from the trunk. She's like, it's no big deal. And I'm just like, then she proceeds to jump my car, no problem. She's like, you should drive to the AutoZone, have them check the battery. I do that. The battery is apparently totally fine. Everything with the car is totally fine. Um, so basically, I get I get back here just in time to like get set up and, and do all the things. But I'm awarding myself a win when really Lindsay should get the triumph. Because not only is she like an amazing mom who left this to go get her kid from school, and she's, you know, growing a whole nother human and jumped my car and generally was just like, this is so funny. Don't worry. This is a hysterical story. What a great way to end our, you know, time together, Elizabeth. I, I'm so glad that this is like our final moment. <laughs> So Lindsay gets the triumph and I get a triumph for having a friend like Lindsay. May I find, may I find a Lindsay wow. in Colorado Springs? I dedicate this podcast to Lindsay. <laughs> Did you ever sign your title? No, no, the paperwork is not done. They told me like to come back and I was like, well, I'll call you when I'm, when I'm done here. And they, they definitely can mail it to, can me, mail it to you. I mean, yeah. they can definitely, I've definitely closed on houses, not from there. But of course, please remember that I'm in a very special yes, place. That's in true. Florida. <laughs> For one more day. One more day. I'm so disappointed that Mr. Fitzbits is not a part of your family because that's definitely where I thought this story was going. So, Or I thought you ran him over. No. I also <laughs> thought that. But you seemed yeah. a little bit too light in tone for... Uh, yeah, I'd be... I be definitely... That would be bad. so traumatic. Everyone would have gotten been, texts. You would have <laughs> been leaving Navarre day? one day early. Gone. <laughs> I would have just gone. See ya. I'm leaving everything that's not packed up. It's not worth it. If that cat gets in my car That's tomorrow, right. though, he's mine. Take I'm him. taking the angry cat Take to Colorado. Him. We'll see. We'll see what the road trip will bond. Jamila, what about you? Triumph or fail? So I thought I was setting myself up for a triumph. Naeem is into all things 90s. She loves basketball, and she happens to be a fan of Shaquille O'Neal. I don't know what made me think of this. Maybe he had popped up in a commercial, and I said, oh, you know Shaquille O'Neal used to rap, right? And she was like... <laughs> And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And I named, you know, I named a bunch of the rappers that, a bunch of the NBA players that had rap music out. I was like, oh, you know, Kobe Bryant and uh, Allen Iverson. And yeah. And I was like, but Shaq was like the most successful of them all. Like he had like hit records. And so I played her a couple of 
Shaquille O'Neal songs and unimpressed is not the word. Actually, the specific word that she used was disturbing. I actually have a favorite Shaquille O'Neal song, which is Can't Stop the Rain featuring Biggie, but it's also a Biggie song with like a great R&B sample. So it's just like he's just there. Much like he was in the middle of the Lakers offense for so many years. Ouch, ouch, So to be fair, the one that she called disturbing was the RZA one, where I'm like, well, RZA is a little bit disturbing sometimes. I understand that. (laughs) And I love RZA. Uh, It was No Hook. That was the song that I played. No Hook featuring the RZA and Method Man. So maybe the lesson was... She's not ready for the Wu-Tang. She's not quite ready for the Wu-Tang. She added that he was shacked in a fool, which is one of her favorite things to say because it's, I think it's either a show or a segment <laughs> that he does on, I believe he's TNT talent. Um, mm-hmm. And they say this often, shacked in a fool. And so she says, he was just shacked in a fool. And she says, I never want to hear that again. She says, you said I was in for a treat and these are dog treats. <laughs> I would like to offer <laughs> Naima a job at Pitchfork reviewing... <laughs> 90s rap. I was like, there's something to this hatred. I don't know. Like, maybe we could do something with yep. this. The one last thing I want to add that she shared, because I, I'm, if there's any parent who can connect with this, please find me. Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Find me. She said, I'd rather listen to Marsha Clark and Chris Darden rap together over him. Now, you may be wondering, why the hell does my child know who Marsha Clark and Chris Darden are? Well, because... I am. Marsha Clark and Chris Darden, famous for being the prosecutors that did not successfully prosecute O.J. Simpson in 1995, were also characters on the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. All right. (laughs) My daughter lives inside the Tina Fey cinematic universe in a lot of ways. Uh Uh, These characters are often with us and on her mind. And and because Tina played Marsha herself, I think, and Naima did not realize this for a long time. I was like, you know, that's Tina Fey. And she was like, what? And so anyway, um, she sees them as being the epitome of bad at their jobs, though she also has told me that they had the most on-screen chemistry of any couple she's seen on TV before, which I thought was special, and that she would rather watch them rap in character than to listen to Shaquille O'Neal rap again. You are raising a wonderful child with excellent taste. Great job. Thank you, thank you. It is amazing to think of that like brief period where we believed Shaq was anything other than corny. He's the <laughs> pinnacle of corny, but he's like corny cool. It doesn't work when I feel like he's not aware of it. When I feel like he's in on the joke, I'm like, right. Shaq, you know you're not cool. You're cool because you're not cool, and that's cool. But when he feels like he's being actual cool, and I guess Rap Shack was the epitome of I'm right. actually cool. Good thing those days are long behind us, and it's not like we're going to have mm-hmm. a cartoon movie coming out soon that'll somehow <laughs> bring some uh, new NBA players to the microphone so that they can rap and embarrass themselves in front of our children as well. Before we get into our listener question, let's handle some business. First things first. Hey guys, subscribe to the show. You'll never have to spend time searching for our latest episode. It'll be right there in your feed. Plus, you'll be helping us out. That is a great way to show your support of Mom and Dad are Fighting. So please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. In Slate Plus today, we'll be considering whether it's within our parental rights to take a peek at our kids' text messages or if it's an invasion of privacy. Here's a little bit of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. My kids point out that disconnect all the time. Still? Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, at we what definitely point do they realize that. it's just not fair? It's just, it's not fair because that's, I am the adult. That's what I say. Don't I've you told them that. that. That's exactly but what I say. Somehow that hasn't convinced them. Now to hear great segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate pod, bonus episodes of show like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence, and you can say that you're supporting the work that we do here on Mom and Dad Are Fighting. It's only $1 for your first month. Go right now to slate.com backslash plus. If you want to be notified about all things Slate Parenting, you need to sign up for Slate's Parenting Newsletter. Besides getting all of Slate's great parenting content in one place, including Mom and Dad are Fighting, Ask a Teacher, and Karen Feeding, it's also a really fun story in your inbox each week straight from Dan Qua of Mom and Dad are Fighting fame. So please sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Finally, if you want to connect with other parents, join our parenting group on Facebook. Super active, well-moderated. Just search Slate Parenting on Facebook. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, let's get into our listener question being read, as always, by the lovely Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, My husband and I moved in together when his daughter was nine months old. She is now almost eight, and we have a four-year-old son. We share custody of our oldest with her mom on a week-on, week-off schedule. Obviously, our son is with us all of the time. It is becoming more and more obvious that my husband views our on weeks with our daughter as valuable family time and our off weeks as his time to focus on whatever he wants without paying much attention to family affairs. When all four of us are home, my husband plays an active role in parenting both kids. He will happily play family board games, walk to the park, sit down at the table as a family each night, etc. When our daughter is at her mom's house, he tends to check out. He spends virtually all of his time working on his own hobbies and projects and prefers to eat dinner on the couch and is actively against doing things like walking for ice cream because he doesn't want our daughter to be left out of any type of family outing. The other day I suggested a dedicated Taco Tuesday night and my husband agreed on the condition that we only do it every other week when our daughter is here. I am a stay-at-home mom. And I feel like all of my time and brain power is dedicated to our family, whether our daughter is here or not. Whether it's an on week or an off week, my days are virtually the same. I facilitate school drop off, coordinate play dates, meal plan and prep, soothe tantrums, and plan activity after activity to keep these kids happy, healthy, and occupied. I do understand where he's coming from. 
When our daughter is away, a piece of our family is missing. However, it's not like our daughter stops when she's at her mom's. She goes on adventures and vacations with her mom. She gets plenty of special treats on mom's time. I don't think that her son should be deprived of regular family things while she isn't here. I'm not suggesting that we go to Disneyland without her. But am I out of line for thinking that it's perfectly fine to take our son to the zoo, the park, the ice cream parlor when his sister isn't around? Am I wrong for feeling resentful that my husband takes a free week twice a month while I am literally always parenting? I worry that my son will feel neglected and my daughter will believe that our family life revolves solely around her. How can I better communicate to my husband that, while yes, it is disappointing that our daughter only spends half her time here. Our son is always here and needs to feel like his life is whole no matter what else is happening around him. Sad for my son. Wow. Uh, There is a lot here. Dan, what do you think? Wow, indeed. Uh, (laughs) Listen, you are correct to feel that this is unfair to your son and to you. So let me first affirm the way you are feeling. It is not weird that you feel that way. You definitely need to sit down with your husband sometime when your son and daughter are otherwise occupied. You need to tell him your concerns specifically about how your son is getting short shrift in the situation. Lead with your son. You've got a great opening line right here in your email. You you wrote, our son is always here and he needs to feel like his life is whole no matter what else is happening around him. Tell your husband that this insane Taco Tuesday conversation really made you realize that your son is getting shortchanged because his time alone with you two doesn't feel special. It just feels like, oh, this is when everything's on hold because we're waiting for my sister to return. But family life doesn't end just because one member of the family is elsewhere. Family life continues, as you say, as it continues for your daughter when she's with her mom. It should be continuing for you too as well. But... I also think you cannot have this conversation without addressing the issue of his notion that the weeks that the daughter is gone are his weeks off. That is bullshit, and he needs to rethink everything about his life. Elizabeth, do you agree? And if so, how does she initiate that part of the talk? I absolutely agree. I I think that this is definitely kind of almost two separate issues. Like there's this family wholeness issue, but like you said, there's also this issue that like he thinks that when there aren't two kids in the house, there's like less work to be done or something. I think this is probably a conversation about the total amount of work that's being done in the house and how much of that you're responsible for. I I did think that one of the ways to do this is to implement some kind of like father son activity that's happening on those off weeks and taking advantage of some of that one-on-one time. Because even in our house with three kids, like the situation is not always the same and who's dealing with what kids. And Jeff and I have had um, some conversations because he'll feel like if he took one kid to go do something that he's like done this big parenting thing, like he'll come home and be like, well, I took, you know, Oliver out kayaking. It was like, well, great. But who do you think had the other two while you were gone? Right? Like There needs to be a time when you get off, too, and you need to be able to say to him, like, I need some downtime, too. And I think the best way for that is also to grow this relationship with him and his son. It's important that the whole family gets along, but a piece of that is growing kind of the 
the sum of the parts, you know, so growing each individual's relationship with every other individual. And what seems to be lacking here is like your your husband's and your son's relationship and their ability to like go do something, thus giving you some time off. And I, I think also offloading some of the everyday things. So like if he has a problem with Taco Tuesday, like maybe he needs to be coming up with the meal plans. Your routine needs to be, you know, normal with the extra rhythm of like sometimes you're you know have two kids at home sometimes you have one kid at home but I don't Jamila you deal some with kind of this this rhythm I do I'll say you know Naima's dad is in this situation um I cannot speak on their household though it would be hard for me to imagine this being their dynamic I just don't think that's how my co-parents are rolling um, but I uh, 100% agree with Dan and Elizabeth. It is unconscionable um, that dad seems to think that he gets a vacation from parenting just because there are less children there when he is the common denominator for all of the children being parented in this household. He is the parent supreme. And as Elizabeth said, it is unfortunately very often the case that dads have not, you know, perhaps based on what they saw growing up or, or, you know, pop culture, they're not seeing the sort of hands-on parenting from guys uh, that they're seeing or that they've come to expect from women. And sometimes that, you know, that of unsurprisingly, that uh, prevents them from aspiring to a, a sort of high-touch, hands-on, consistent level of parenting. But I think there's a very big difference between being the really hands-on parent or the really hands-on dad um, who's equally integrated into things like bathing and dinner and homework uh, as mom, which is aspirational for many households, versus thinking that you literally get a vacation from parenting because your oldest kid is not there and there's only one kid who is also yours around. So mom, everything that you're feeling is okay. Perhaps you all might want to consider talking to somebody about this or uh, you seeking out a professional to talk to about how you can most effectively communicate to your husband, knowing what you know about him, obviously, which is a lot more than what we do in this few minutes that we've had to um, discuss your issue and coming up with a plan that could help him really understand that he needs to do what seems to be a very, very, very obvious and silly thing to us, um, but to him perhaps just doesn't line up with what he thinks his role as a father is. It's fascinating to me that he, by her account, he is an active, engaged parent during the week that both kids are there. What I would love to ask her if she was in the room with us right now is, when you look at those weeks when both kids are home and your husband is a is you know an, an active engaged parent what if anything do you wish was different about those weeks what more do you wish he was doing then because i worry that this conversation if she man when and she manages to have this conversation with her husband will basically end with uh what i you know what i want is for you to behave the same way these two different weeks, which is true. That is what she wants. But then I'm worried that the result of that will still be her feeling as though she is still the one as in, is the case with so many uh, moms and their, and their male partners. She still just ended up being the one who's still doing so much more. And then she has had this big confrontation and 
and has turned her husband in some way to her way of thinking, but might still be dissatisfied with the way that the division of labor is balancing in the household. And so, you know, as you're talking about this with a professional, as Jamila suggests, with your husband or with whomever, I do hope that this letter writer will keep in mind not only um, a slightly better version of the current situation, but the actual division of labor she wants there to be in her life. I'd be curious to know what sort of conversations were had when you all decided that you would be a stay-at-home mom and if perhaps there's some connection between what he thinks that means um, and what he's doing when his other child is there. But, it, you know, I think we all agree that there's a serious uh, disconnect between your husband and reasonable contributions to the household. With that, we are wishing you all the best in having some uh, difficult but very important conversations with your husband um, in the days, weeks, and months to come. Good luck to you, and we are always happy for an update uh, if you are so inclined as to share one. Thank you so much uh, for sending us something to consider. And if you fellow listeners have a parenting conundrum that you'd like for us to ponder, Send us an email at momanddad at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Wow, that is some lively theme music. Could not be my podcast. <laughs> Dan, that music was not made for a man your age. It was made for the kids, specifically <laughs> Rachel Hampton and Madison Malone Kircher, the hosts of ICYMI, Slate's new podcast on internet culture. Hello, Rachel and Madison. Hi. Hi. Welcome. It is now time for, in case you missed it, mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) The crossover everyone asked for. That's right. We asked parents on the Facebook group for some things their kids do online that bewilder them. We got more responses than we could have anticipated, many of which bewildered us. And so we are going to throw a few of them at Rachel and Madison, our internet trend translators, in a little bit of a lightning round. Are you girls ready? Yes. As ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) Ready as I'll ever be. I'm getting older by the minute, so... So a listener asks, what's the difference between the white heart emoji and the other emoji colors? I I love this as a person who uses the white heart emoji, largely because I was influenced by people younger than me who seem cooler than me on the internet. (laughs) It is purely about aesthetics. So if you go to, say, Ariana Grande's Instagram right now, there's a highlight saved in her stories that is labeled with just the white heart. It's just that it looks good. It's like got a sexy monochrome feel, sort of looks like the cloud emoji. Just it's a good looking emoji. Yeah, purely aesthetics. It's like the pure heart. Like people are like, it's so cute. It, there's no, it's not like the urban myth where people were wearing different colored bracelets that signified different things. It means nothing like that. Different things <laughs> being sex acts. Right, it's not the blue bandana in my left pocket of a Yeah, I didn't know how, how lewd we could get here on yeah, mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> All right, so what does yeet mean? <laughs> I think this one is my favorite. <laughs> yeet. <laughs> yeet can mean a lot of different things. Like in its platonic form, it just means like to throw something. So like if you, for example, like threw a water bottle or like just threw something across the room, you would yell yeet as you threw it. Or people kind of use it as a verb where they like yeeted something. But it can also Donald just... Trump in the paper towel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so proud to know this. 
But it surely it's evolved beyond simply that, right? Yes, yes. People use it just as like a little placeholder or just to add emphasis to something. It's like something will happen and you can just say yeet. You can just sprinkle it in kind of like salt, which means you need to know how to use it to use it or it can become overused really fast. Unlike salt, it also has an age limit. So someone like me <laughs> should not be putting salt on my food in this way. Yeah, I would not recommend. Does salt have that age limit too? <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, all right, here's mine. So someone on Facebook asks, kids are always saying that something is sus. What is sus? This is good. My kids say this all the time. Yeah. Dan, if, if your kids are calling you sus, that's not a great thing for you. I, I assumed, Madison. Thank you. <laughs> um, sus is either short for suspicious or suspect. It's just like something shady. Perfect. And it's yeah. been there for 100 years. Like, How did sus get to be a kid word? Yeah, this one's not super new, but yeah. It's a little sus that so you don't know it. Elizabeth, you have one that was completely shocking and weird to me. Yes. Okay, why are teens calling characters or actors cinnamon rolls? <laughs> Aww. This one's so cute. Um, <laughs> cinnamon roll is just, the, I think the original phrase was like just a cinnamon roll who's like too pure for this world. It just means that, again, they're kind of just too good. Like they're perfect in that like a cinnamon roll is perfect. So just like something like super sweet and pure and like not bad in any way. Like, they're a cinnamon roll. Dan, if your kids call you a cinnamon roll, that's good. They never have and never will. <laughs> the Just the levels of unspoken, commonly understood discourse at play in all these is so remarkable. Just like when you guys say, you know, like a cinnamon roll is perfect. What the fuck are you talking about? In what way is a cinnamon roll perfect? <laughs> I mean, have you ever had a cinnamon roll and thought that right, name, sucks? Name, name a more <laughs> name perfect one bad cinnamon oh, roll. <laughs> All right. All right. Are you all right. are you saying you're not a fan of cinnamon rolls? They're fine, but they're not there's nothing about them that seems perfect to me any more so wow. than any other pastry. Mm. I would agree, yet it made sense to I me guess right maybe away. Maybe it's warm and fresh out of the oven. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming over and demystifying some of this kid speak for us. I see why am I is required listening for parents of tweens and teens to understand what the hell your kids are talking about. But that's not all that you do. Tell us a little bit more about this exciting new podcast and what you all are going to be taking on. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, if you've got a, a young person in your life, it's a great place to start. But also, if you don't, we'd love to have you listen to the show. We explore what's going on online right now. We are taking time travel trips back to the internet of past, talking to our some of our favorite characters from YouTube and Twitter and Tumblr. Rachel, I'll say it so you don't have to. <laughs> Tumblr. My favorite website, Tumblr. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, we'll be talking about Yahoo Answers in an upcoming episode. Um, we'll be talking about a special genre of TikTok known as uh, Piss Talk. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Yeah, you know, it's okay. <laughs> we do a lot more than just, like, explaining emojis, though we do also do that. Uh, I can already tell I'm going to need to know everything about Piss Talk so that I can <laughs> wow my kids. <laughs> With your knowledge of urine kink? Correct. <laughs> okay, this could go on forever. Uh, we'll stop here, but if you want to hear more, we'll link to it in the show notes. So thank you. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, let's move on to our next segment. Earlier this month, the Arkansas legislator overrode a governor's veto to pass a law outlawing gender-affirming health care for minors. And unfortunately, Arkansas isn't alone. More than half of the states in the U.S. are considering similar bills and or other bills targeting trans kids. What are these bills trying to accomplish and what can we do to stop them? We're joined by Alex Chen, who wrote a wonderful piece for Slate about the value of gender affirming care in his own life and in the lives of trans kids everywhere. Alex is the founding director of the LGBTQ plus advocacy clinic at Harvard Law School and a co-author of the Trans Youth Handbook. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I want to start by talking a little bit about your piece, Um, as opposed to approaching this specifically talking about legislation um, and what's going on in Arkansas. You told your own story. Can you talk about why you decided to frame this piece the way you did and approached it with a personal narrative? I wrote about how when I was a kid, um, I would kind of keep pretending to lose my PE kit um, on the way to class or on the way to school. Um, because I just had this sort of paralyzing terror of being in that environment, right? And it really wasn't that I didn't like sports itself. I didn't like exercise. It was really because, you know, I wasn't able to be affirmed as my own self as a boy when I was a teenager. Um, You know, I grew up, you know, at a time when, you know, uh, trans issues were really not as much in the mainstream, when you didn't have things like Orange is the New Black or the Transgender Tipping Point or Caitlyn Jenner. And so I really had no idea that transgender people were out there. I only knew that I felt really uncomfortable with the fact that society had assigned me as female, with the way that I was gendered at school, with the way that I was gendered in sports. And so it really prevented me from being able to participate fully in a really important aspect of life, right? And I think that for LGBTQ people, like what really harms people's ability to really figure out who they are and thrive as human beings is is being like feeling like you're shut out of like some of the most core important aspects of human society, right? Like marriage, like family acceptance, like belonging to the military, like 
being able to run track or play sports. Like these are things that are really fundamental to like human civilization, also really fundamental to American culture, right? And so to really feel like you're not able to participate in those things has this profound impact on whether you really think that you can do anything you want with your life, right? That's what we tell kids in America. Like that's supposed to be what the American quote unquote dream is about. But for LGBTQ people, I think you get all of these implicit messages from society that that isn't for you. And so I felt like that maybe that emotional piece of it was really the piece that kind of gets lost sometimes in all of these political battles, right? Like, really, I think what's happening right now is that trans kids are being used as a culture war tipping point by um, the religious right and the political right because they're really having a hard time opposing the Biden administration's economic agenda. You know, transgender kids are a vulnerable population that they think it's easy to fearmonger around. And so they're really using this just as a political wedge point. And I think that that's what's so frustrating and so I think angering for somebody who is a member of this community who works for this community who advocates on our behalf is to see that you know it's not even that they care at all really about what happens to these kids these kids are to them collateral damage on the field of the culture wars that they think that they can win office again by being on the right side of this issue right and so they don't care how many courts say that anti-transgender policies or legislations are unconstitutional they don't care even when a highly conservative governor like the governor of Arkansas vetoes the bill because he says it's just not a good idea to threaten doctors with losing their licenses providing a form of gender affirming healthcare which is approved by every major international and domestic medical organization they don't care that it's just not good policy to do that they don't care that a lot of kids are going to die as a result a lot of kids are going to have a harder time growing up. A lot of kids are going to suffer from lifelong psychological damage because for them, it's about that political victory, right? And so I think I really wanted to bring across the human component of that and and to say, like, let's not get lost in these political battles. Let's focus on the children and what their lived experience is going to be if we go forward with policies like this. So can you talk to us about the what the lived experience of trans kids is who are able to receive gender-affirming health care, the kind of care that... Uh, these bills are attacking and and what happens when they're not able to access that kind of care? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. And I think, you know, I I'm especially want to talk about in the context, since this is a parenting podcast, of what the sociological literature shows is the benefit of, in general, acceptance, right? Currently, trans kids have a really disproportionately high suicide attempt rate that a shocking, like somewhere between 40 to 50% of trans people have or or have contemplated or seriously attempted suicide. Oftentimes that's used by opponents of gender affirming care as an argument for why it shouldn't be given because it's like, well, these people are psychologically unstable. This is a mental illness. But the same used to be true when it came to gay people. Right. It, they used to also have a really high rate of suicidality. And and you know what doctors say is it it's it's that the suicidality doesn't come from having the identity. There's nothing wrong with the identity. The problem is the way that society treats you because you have an identity, right? And so actually what studies show is that when trans kids have that affirmation, when they're supported by their families, they're able to get the medical care that they need and they're able to be affirmed by society, they actually have um, like outcomes which are very similar to their cisgender, that is their non-transgender peers. Like when it comes to things like, you know, mental health, graduation rates, you know, um, rates of substance abuse, rates of sort of like success later in life. Actually, it's it's really roughly parallel. And that's really quite remarkable if you think about it, because just because your family supports you and you can kind of get the, the documents that you need and get the care that you need doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have an easy time, right? You, there's still going to be these messages you're getting from society. There's going to be people in your community who don't support you. So the fact that they're even parallel just because they're getting affirmed is huge. So I think the thing that I really want to bring across is 
it's really astonishing like what a change it makes to have that kind of support in your life. And what we see with you know really um, young and courageous trans activists and those who have grown up, people like Janet Mock, like Jazz Jennings, like Gavin Grimm, like Laverne Cox, it's that when you have that support, you're really able to just get on with being a person and figuring out the rest of your life. Alex, why do you think so many of these new laws focus on athletics? That's a good question. So, you know, like if you recall, like five years ago, they were all about bathrooms, right? <laughs> and oh, yeah. at the time, everybody was like, oh, this is a real social problem. You know, like it's transgender women are going to enter, you know, women's bathrooms. There's going to be, you know, all these issues. And of course, it was an invented problem because actually transgender people had been using bathrooms for decades before. They've been using them since. And trying to police that is actually worse than leaving it alone. There wasn't actually a real problem, right? So I think they keep shifting what they're targeting because they keep trying to gin up a new issue that people are going to be scared of. And now they think they found it. The new latest issue is transgender people playing sports. Ultimately, I think what 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 they don't realize is that actually transgender people have also been playing sports um, in accordance with their gender identity for a long time. If you go back to the 1970s, a pioneering female ten- transgender female tennis star was Renee Richards, who actually won a case in New York before the New York, um, I think, appellate court to get the right to play in the U.S. Open. And she was like a world uh, re- renowned, like highly ranked tennis star who ranked in the, like the upper twenties, I think, um, like for, for decades. Um, and the international Olympic committee has since 2015 had a policy around how transgender people could participate in sports after having certain kinds of medical treatment thresholds cleared. The NCAA has had a policy for over half a decade. And in States like California, they've had laws saying that trans kids have to be allowed to play sports in accordance to gender identity on the books as a state law. And in none of those places have you actually seen a real problem in terms of, you know, the things that they're talking about, like, oh, like this will be the ruination of women's sports or, you know, that there won't be a level playing field. Actually, these are things that sports bodies have been figuring out for a long time. And so I think the reason you're seeing it is because it's an issue that they think is a winning issue politically. Mm. Um, If you look at the polling Trans sports inclusion is the only issue with respect to transgender inclusion or anti-discrimination in which there's even, the public is even on the fence, right? Like for every other question you ask, like, should trans people be discriminated against at work? Should they be discriminated against at school? Should we, you know, be preventing people from, you know, changing their licenses? Or should we, you know, have anti-discrimination laws? Like all of these things, like everyone's like 60, 70, 80% in favor, right? Which in this country is actually a really strong consensus. If you can get you know, like 80% of the people to say, oh, we all think that nobody should be discriminated against on the base of gender identity. That's actually really robust. Sports participation is the only thing where right now it's like 47, 47 or something like that, right? And so they can, mm-hmm. they feel like they can still seize on this issue and like they can make political hay out of it. So I think that's what why it's happening. What makes it so upsetting from my perspective is that it's it's so clearly meant to weaponize like the protectiveness of parents towards their children uh, in a way that ends up being so gross because as you point out, It's not about tilting the playing field in the same way that gender affirming care simply puts trans kids exactly on the same level as their peers, you know, allowing trans kids to compete in sports levels the playing field for them in a way that it otherwise would not be. Do you have a sense of like, if I'm a sports parent, you know, who finds myself in a situation where a child on my kid's team is being challenged or attacked because of one of these laws or independent of one of these laws? What should I do? Like, how should I address and approach that situation? It's a great question. Um, I think some of the most powerful advocates against these laws have been parents of trans kids who have testified on behalf of their kids and said, you know, 
I didn't understand this at first, but I love my child and I see how much this is causing them to flourish. And I, you know, like, how can you attack children like this? How can you make them political pawns, right? Especially people who come from the states or the cities where these things are being considered, who to be able to speak on it and say, I'm not coming here from out of state. I'm coming here from your hometown, this hometown. I'm from here. And what I'm telling you is this is against the values of this town, right? So I think that's been really, really powerful. And actually, although more states than ever before are considering these bills this year. So far, only one of them has passed. A lot of people have surprisingly kind of, I think, done the right thing. Like even like, for example, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota vetoing their um, you know, sports bill and sending it back to the legislature. Because I think people have been genuinely moved by that personal testimony. So I think if you're the parent of a trans kid and you feel like it's something that's safe for you and your child to do to speak out, I think that's really, really important. I think it's also been really important for them not to stand alone. For there to be other parents in the community to say, I know this parent really well. They love their child. They're doing the best by their child. I see how good this is for their child. I have no problem with his daughter playing with my daughter on the soccer team. You know, they're having a great time. They're great friends. There's really not, there's no here here. You know, so I think, you know, like you can look around and look at, okay, are there parents in your, you know, neighborhood who are having trans kids? Are they feeling supported? by the school district? Are they feeling supported by the, school, the, the the league that their kids are playing in? There are lots of ways in which you can kind of make life a little bit better just by being an ally and by asking, well, what kind of policies do we have? Are we making sure that they can all travel together? Are we making sure that they can all compete together? Are we making sure that they're getting a positive message from school? Are, are we making sure that they're being supported if they want to have a gay straight alliance at the school, or I think these days they call them genders and sexuality alliances. You know, I think there's lots of different ways that you can be supportive by speaking out and saying, you know, I'm not afraid of this. I don't think this is a problem. And in fact, I think that it's important. You know, one of the things that studies show is that in school districts where um, there are efforts made to sort of affirm and support LGBTQ plus children, it decreases bullying for all children because all children get the message that the school um, is supporting people who are different and that being different is okay and in fact good, right? And so actually it's not just an LGBTQ plus issue, like teaching children about inclusion and not to treat people differently just because they come from a different background is actually a really important value. (laughs) And so it improves the school climate for all kinds of kids if you put the kibosh on like anti-LGBTQ plus bullying. It's so sad that marginalized people are constantly reminding others that, you know, everyone benefits from (laughs) treating us well, right? It's kind of for the greater good and is actually the greater good. To wrap up, Alex, uh, thinking about what you wrote in your piece and just how there's what we're sold, this idea that trans youth or even trans adults will come into a space and, you know, represent harm to cis people there, right? Trans girls in bathrooms, trans women on athletics teams, when that's the exact opposite of what does happen, right? That it's the kid who was like you, not wanting to go to PE. It's someone um, not being allowed to be safe in a space that they have every right to be in, um, who isn't threatening anyone, who's faced with any number of things from bullying within the classroom to the bullying on the state level that these kids are enduring um, via this sort of legislation. So for families of trans children uh, that are looking for resources because they are concerned, where are some of the places that they can turn to get some support with both fighting against these laws and protecting their children in the immediate sense? That's a great question. Um, So there's a variety of different resources I would suggest. On the legal front, 
The clinic that I run, the Harvard LGBT uh, Plus Clinic, in collaboration with the National Center for Lesbian Rights, um, we've co-published a resource called the Trans Youth Handbook, which is um, the first sort of comprehensive nationwide guide to the legal rights of trans kids. Um, and it applies across the nation, and it kind of has different chapters on things like, you know, school, um, if you want to have a job, applying to college, um, accessing, um, you know, the ability to change identity documents, what to do in situations if you are institutional care facilities, like if you're in foster care. That is a good resource as a starting point, and it also contains links to a lot of other um, good, you know, like resources, hotlines you can call, suicide prevention hotlines, um, places that you can reach out to if you are in out-of-home care. Also, if you're invo- you're interested in getting involved politically, the ACLU has a state affiliate in every state, and they've really been um, very helpful at sort of connecting um, parents and kids with um, kind of like you know lawyers and politicians who can kind of figure out how to help them share their story. On a social level, there are a lot of support groups, both for um, trans kids um, and for families, um, which I think can be really helpful for people to just feel like they're not going through it alone and that they can kind of learn from other folks how they've kind of been through their experiences. There are also um, youth-oriented national organizations like GLSEN um, and PFLAG that are dedicated to kind of supporting, um, you know, youth and families. Um, and there are some um, good transgender-specific organizations as well, including Gender Spectrum, and I think one called Gender Odyssey. There are a lot of social media groups too, actually, like Facebook groups and things like that that people find support in that could be really important. So I think all of those things, there's actually a lot of resources out there, um, but I think that it can be difficult sometimes. One thing I realized much later in life is that being a relative of a of an LGBT person, sometimes you can go through stages of sort of psychological sort of development over the course of accepting your relative's identity that are not that different than the person themselves, right? That like you kind of have like, oh, I didn't ask for this. You know, what will people say? I don't know what to do about this. You can feel kind of like resentment and anger and fear and shame. And, you know, when I was going through my own coming out process, I really didn't have like the bandwidth to deal with my anybody in my life telling me that they felt that way. I was like, I'm like, you think you feel that way. You're adjacent to this experience. I'm in it. And so I didn't have the bandwidth to, to, to be sympathetic to that. But now that I'm older and on the other side of it, I can see why they felt that way, right? And I think that you can, sometimes can't get that support from the person who has that identity. You can't go to your kid and say, I'm having a really hard time with this, right? They don't need to hear that right now. They don't need to hear, oh, I'm mourning over who I thought you were going to be and now you're going to be somebody different. But it can be very helpful to talk to other people about that experience and to get a shared experience of, well, how did you handle that? Oh, well, I was afraid of what my boss would think if I told them that my child was transgender, right? And so actually, like, finding community, I think, is really important. And I think for those parents, it's, like, a really good idea to kind of find that support in that community to help you kind of work through kind of the logistical and emotional challenges without putting that burden on your child. Alex, thank you so much for joining us and for your phenomenal piece. We've linked it on the show page. So listeners, if you haven't read it, you'll get a chance to check it out. Thank you again. Thank you. All right. Before we get out of here, let's move on to recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you have for us? All right. I am recommending doing some crafting. And specifically, if you sew, I just made these great sun hats from Twig and Tail. That's the pattern. It's available free online. They are super easy. And she actually encourages you to make them out of fabric from clothes and things you were going to toss around your house. And I love this because, of course, we have Oliver, who really likes to pick out these 
um, colorful patterns and things like that, that that hats are not always available in and specifically um, like hats for his age. So we um, found some old clothes that we were getting rid of in the move and I made some very cute hats for the boys. It's super simple. Like literally, if you can sew in a straight line, you can make these very cute sun hats and the pattern is free from twig and tail. That sounds adorable. Uh, I am recommending reading more Ursula Le Guin. I've been reading a lot of Ursula Le Guin recently, and I'm, I've now started a campaign to try and get Lyra to read some Ursula Le Guin. We'll see how it goes. Specifically, I just read Four Ways to Forgiveness, which is not one of her most famous books. You know, it's not The Left Hand of Darkness. Uh, it's not The Word for World is Forest. Um but uh, it's a later book. She wrote it in the 90s, um, and it's four connected stories set on the same two worlds uh, that are just coming out at the end of several centuries of slavery. Um, and it's about uh, former enslaved people, about former enslavers, and about um, the diplomats who are trying to untangle this situation. And they're just completely beautiful and thought-provoking and uh, gorgeous, just like everything that Ursula Le Guin ever wrote. So I've now handed Lyra uh, the word for world is forest, and I'm hoping she will try that uh, because it is slim and catchy and uh, and very, very engrossing. Uh, but anyways, Ursula Le Guin probably maybe the most the greatest moral writer of the 20th century um she's awesome read more of her jamila what do you recommend so uh as i've mentioned on a number of occasions i eat fake healthy i substitute a lot of uh glutinous foods in my household for gluten-free or uh gluten sensitive items and i found something that i really 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 like it's cauliflower is in cauliflower but cali california cauliflower foods vegetable enchilada bake it is top five best tasting frozen meals i've ever had it's like a cheesy little enchilada with some veggies and beans and it's surprisingly filling um i only added just a tiny little bit of my own cheddar cheese to the top of it uh, and i did that before tasting it to be fair i just thought it might need more uh but what i had was really really good so if you are looking for um a quick option i am increasingly giving myself permission to rely on relatively healthy frozen foods to feed myself when naima's not here and even if she was so what you can totally feed yourself and your kids frozen foods it's fine um, it's a pandemic we're all tired we're all struggling i strongly recommend uh giving the Cali flower line a try that is our show for this week one last time if you have a parenting question for us send it to mom and dad at slate.com or post it to the slate parenting facebook group which you can find by just searching for slate's parenting on facebook easy mom and dad are fighting is produced by rosemary belson for dan qua and elizabeth newcamp i'm jamila lemieux our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.